Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Exes for Podcast, where we take a look each week at all of the appearances of Marvel's Merry Mutants. Now, I'm Nico. You can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And this week was a big week as New Mutants saw a significant relaunch with new writer Vita Ayala coming on, and the synergy between Vita and Rod Race on art is incredible right off the bat with this first issue. In this next segment, Josh, Nathan, Rod... Raven and Arturo take a look at New Mutants number 14 and the ways in which it conjures up so many elements of Marvel canon for them is so incredible. It really is, as Arturo points out, the hallmark of a terrific issue that it calls to mind so many aspects and facets of the stories it connects to, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentle thems of the X-Pack to X's for a Podcast. This is Nathan. You can find me online at on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. Hello, I'm Raven, and you can find me as Dame Red Bento. Just type it in. You'll find me all over the net. Hi, this is Josh. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L on Twitter and at AsleepAtTheWheel.com. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, and I'm Rodders. You can find me at Rod, the on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I need to make new videos. I haven't in like suits. Get get right. <laughs> totally. You should do that. We're all waiting impatiently for that. Hello. Yeah. Dude, twerking with Jingle Bell. Vida Ayala, who is an amazing writer, who we've seen them do uh, already a Marauder's Issue. We've seen them do Prisoner X from the Age of Ekman line, mm-hmm. which was amazing. How do you feel about having Vida on this book? I am absolutely over the moon that we have a non-binary Afro-Latina person who is writing these wonderful nuanced stories because for once it does not feel like it's coming from a cishet male or especially not a cishet white male. You can tell that there's a difference in the way the characters interact. There's a lot more nuance and interpersonal dialogues. Even some of the glances and the way the characters kind of just interact briefly with each other even without speaking has a lot of great nuance which to me is actually really important because being a woman I speak with a lot of subtext and I speak with a lot of nuance to what I'm saying tone inflex the look the everything so it's really great to have a person who's non-binary writing this because I feel like I'm getting so much more story and I love being able to read a good story while also having beautiful artwork which I believe was done by Rod Reyes and he just killed it love it. yeah this team up this oh is like God. this is such an incredible mix of talents and and abilities it's you can't talk about vita's writing without talking about rod's art it's just they lend themselves they, they just blend together so beautifully and mm-hmm. and for in my opinion this is a book that the entire dawn of x and and now starting reign of x has been kind of missing uh mm-hmm. in the green room i, I kind of described that new mutants and i enjoyed i've 
enjoyed it so far. The little back and forth between Brisson and, and Hickman, I think, has been fun. But I described it as kind of like Marauder's Light or Marauder's Without mm-hmm. Such a Defined Purpose. Yeah. Because it feels like when you just think really quickly as to what we've seen happen so far in, in the issues before of this book, the New Mutants for various teams of New Mutants have just gone on an adventure, gone to a country to rescue some mutants or been out in space doing an adventure. So it just kind of felt directionless. And I feel like Vita has seized on, this is one of the parts of of, of the promise of Krakoa, right? Like the whole concept of, of the Academos area and of, of these like younger mutants being resurrected and, and all being back together. There was something about an educational element and we haven't seen any of that, right? Like it's the Academos, yeah. there has not been any any academics going on. And it's just been the like, emos. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little and, uh, and no you you're absolutely right arturo and I, I remember you know we had this conversation before x of swords that it was just hard to imagine like what did ed brisson pitch for this new right. mutants book like if you were yeah. to sit down and go back to like you know the pre-dawn of x announcement like what was his pitch because we saw a year of his comics and there was not like he just had like a couple story ideas for different characters but the book was not going anywhere which was a real shame because we're in we're in an era that is so there's so much to explore and it's so easy and he had so many characters who have so many big dilemmas and opportunities in this world you know we've mentioned that chamber who was on his original roster like chambers an amazing one to really think about in terms of the resurrection protocols or whether he'd want to go to the crucible because of the way he lost half his face and how that (laughs) impacted his entire life yeah and he did nothing with that i couldn't even tell you the last time we saw chamber on page you're you're absolutely right last thing i remember was uh when they were coming back from shiar space mm-hmm. and he's hanging out with mondo but like yeah, yeah exactly that like you get a great character like that you put him on the roster and then he didn't do anything with him and it just didn't yeah. make any sense and yeah. This and vita, like, yeah vita made it clear for anyone who hadn't picked up on that who just like couldn't put their finger on what was wrong with new mutants for the last year like it became glaringly obvious when vita opened this book yeah with yes. a mission statement like oh, yeah. it did yeah. Just developed the mission statement over her first story. She just flat out opened it with, "Here's where, here's the need, and where we're going." Yeah, and and then took off from there. And I love, I love the angle from which they clarified what the mission is because it, it's saying what is missing and what yeah. the side effects of that are. Like what the the people that are you know that are down or that are getting a little destructive, a little restless. It, it like they touched on all of that stuff and said like, "This is what we're going to do." And I love the objections and the objections getting uh you know overruled like the whole exchange was just so so smart and again another example of a great use of data page the other oh, big yeah. thing the other big thing that i think sets this apart and really feels like the kickoff of a new you know a new era or a new storyline and new mutants in a lot of ways it's felt like a reboot uh is a clearly you know I, I i admire anybody that in this new dawn of x reign of x era just reaches for some of the most complicated convoluted characters and say yeah give me give me him i'm gonna i'm gonna put him in my book and i would say shadow king was on a on my short list of some really complicated people that i don't know if i'd want to jump into right grabbed shadow king and said yes. no because shadow king has always been and this is why i wouldn't have picked up shadow king because he's always been such a irredeemable just bad person right bad yeah. entity oh, yeah like there's no oh, redeeming and right Let's out of see. the gate vita's like wait 
you think you know who Shadow King is, but actually there's more to him too. Ever since Hoxpox, I've had a theory about Shadow King and I've been waiting. I was so excited when Leah dropped him in in her part of X-Men Empire. Yeah. Um, and as a Muslim, I'm, I'm interested in how Shadow King, it fits in this world because he is old school Egyptian. And I know a lot of old school Egyptians and the way that they practice their Islam. And it's interesting because like the Muslim characters that we have, like whether Farouk likes them or gets along with them or is a dick or not, like he could be the biggest asshole in the world. He'd still be the one showing up to like lead, lead like <laughs> mid-afternoon prayer. Like, and there would be no question. Like, like Soraya might hate him, but she'd be like, go up, like, like she would absolutely stand behind him and pray. Like he would be kind of that figure based on like who he is. And I think that there's some really interesting potential if like, if you understand or see like his role in the religion for the various Muslim characters, characters that there are but also and this goes back to hox pox i have ever since we had that scene in moira's third life where the fire scene with destiny and mystique mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. have completely reimagined the muir island saga and question whether or not Shadow King was actually a part of it. Like whether or not it was really Shadow King mm -hmm. or if it was Moira and Xavier working together to try to take out Destiny and Mystique and blaming it on Shadow King. Damn. And it's such an easy retcon because he's a character who's in the shadows. Like you yeah. never have to see his physical body. And it would yeah. be so easier for Xavier to do the mind fucking while Moira sends people out to go like, no, 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 no. Legion, go, go kill Mystique and Destiny. Go, go try to get them um because well, that's their big need well, yeah, and, there and xavier in the, in the has had, xavier's had so many dealings with shadow king and so is legion yeah. that yeah it it sets up a perfect patsy like mm -hmm. you were saying it, it does it really does for him to go it's oh, it the it, shadow king it's like, so it's, ripe for retcon but we need someone to introduce shadow king into this world so we can yeah. start stumbling over that and i am yep. super excited for the possibilities now that he's here i was gonna say i love that vita like you said introduced the Shadow King and retcon him in such a way that it goes back to what we what they have said in the past eclipse. It's like the mutant, their mutant genes, their mutant powers influence him in such a way that they can't help their behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. And well, I, his little him as a little kid went through so much trauma and was so alone that maybe I don't even know if it's like a demon entity. We don't know anything about it yet. Maybe yeah. it's his mm -hmm. own power manifesting itself to turn him into. Mm -hmm. a I, I've got a theory I'm going to throw out there with one word. Uh, Mumu Dry, the Cassandra Nova. Oh. Kind of like evil psychic entity type of vibe. that was kind of my thing is like maybe this <laughs> this evil entity kind of lapsed onto this kid so early oh, on yeah. that he's never had a chance right like yeah the, who we've always yeah. seen is is a corrupted shadow king and maybe this is him you know this is the beginning of another redemption story and i'm all for it man that that i think is like the coolest thing of the promise of Krakoa. i think i think that's a tricky thing about having such a vast cast of characters to, to pull from is it's hard to get to, to make these moments for all of these characters right like we all want all of the things all at once but in the meantime <laughs> we have Warpath now wearing the cutest little outfit oh, oh my god his little shorts shorts the hottest <laughs> the, hot <laughs> the hottest little shorts I loved it so much do you that think was, Forge that was designed the... them for him because I mean those are about I think as short as Forges are oh, yep. oh my god yeah right. <laughs> well listen nice. the shorts are the best well, part of the issue it's a good it, there's so many good well, no, issue, I mean, like, but Jimmy shorts are the best part. 
I need that costume. Like I need that wardrobe. Oh my god, you and, can totally oh and the dirty shameful the dirty shameful thoughts that his shorts gave to poor little Rain, who was not ready for that. I know. And oh. in, in Shan, she's just over there like what the fuck? Come right. on. Like, she's like, I don't want this. I want Danny to wear the shorts. Right? Oh my god, yes. Oh <laughs> Karma and Danny. Like, oh my Ooh. god. They are like fucking soulmates. Like, well, I don't know who your sister It's so weird. I don't know who I want Danny with more. I don't know if I want her more with Karma or Wolfsbane or Magic. Like they're all or you my know, dear, Warpath this is, even this too. Is Krakoa. Like it's Krakoa. You can have polycules. I mean, that's yeah. true. You can. That's, that's true. Very yeah. True. No, but right. I, I love you know, like I a little Logan Gene Cyclops. Emma. Is is Emma in it though? Is she? Uh, well, maybe, but like I think she's she probably watches. Not. Well, <laughs> you know what? like and I, I love that Vita doesn't lose sight of the power of subtext and just kind of mm-hmm. like yeah. like it's nothing's like really spelled out. But when uh when magic comes into the room and finds Danny <laughs> and Karma sitting there talking, she says the energy in this room's erratic, like after a fight or and then Moonstar stops her, <laughs> but basically saying fucking right, like that's yeah. Extreme, yeah. That's definitely (laughs) what was implied there. And it's just, and it's like, not even to say that they banged or not, but it's just Mm -hmm. addressing the sexual tension between the two. Yana likes poking. Oh my God. I love, I love subtext. I'm all about like representation on the page and being explicit for sure. But there's a place. So much of that comes through Reyes though, because the words that Vita wrote, like the words that Vita wrote only give you a little bit of a glimpse. It's all of the emotion and the colors and the facial expressions mm-hmm. like even afterwards yeah. with danny and warlock given like the finger eyes i'm watching you to uh, yana like <laughs> there's so much great little character work in the art the art is telling so much of a story absolutely and giving yeah. it so much emotion um mm-hmm. it, reyes we we can't uh. speak enough about how great he is on this book okay uh, when oh, warlock is slinking into the room like yeah. and he's like he's like my self friend he's over there being married like oh like he's just like slinky self is not self is not allowed with self friend when ty is on the door <laughs> self friend doug said when the boat is rocking yeah we've seen, we've seen warlock just kind of like like relegated to just like an accessory of doug yeah. and that's yeah. been fun too but how much fun are they having just saying like okay wait wait, wait. yeah give us warlock we're gonna put warlock on mm-hmm. panel and like yeah. have so much goddamn fun with him because Warlock is a character that is just inherently like comedic, right? Like yeah. Oh, God, yeah. that chaotic. When he's not scary as fuck, though. Yeah, but well, it's all in how he's drawn. So much yeah. of that scary or funny is in how he's drawn, and Reyes just nails it. Like it is, it feels like Sinkevich again. It does. With I mean, oh my God, yeah. Reyes is sort as close to Sinkevich as I think anyone's been with Warlock. Oh yeah. I, I mean, think Warlock, the Warlock reads like Legion but without the mental illness to me. So yeah. like oh. he can be yeah. really funny or he can be super freaking scary but you know, it's, yeah. he's Warlock. He is. Oh my God. Is. That his greatest fear is a big Oh my, god. We oh, my god. oh my god i died i died so hard i kissed myself laughing at that yeah vita said that, that was raised as i did with the big kitten like that's awesome yeah well the and the, the the big kitten is like a perfect example of how the uh how the x slack and like the group think is really benefiting these books because yeah vita i think is it's on the post of the question like yeah warlock is scared of something i don't know what are robots scared of or whatever and they're like yes a cat like yeah. 
<laughs> so brilliant. And it was executed so well because it's so obviously like invoking Demon Bear, but yes. uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Krakoa. So it's a cute little kid. It looks a lot like the kid. It's not the cat they killed in Ten of Swords. Exactly what I was going to say. This cat this is the revenge for that poor little kid. Oh <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to bring up black cats a lot more often. I'm just going to laugh every time I see one. <laughs> Another thing that I, thought, that I think was really cool about this, and, and again, is like exploring the new, you know, this, the new paradigm of, of Rakoa, is we kind of get into what we have seen being called mutant magic. We've seen it being called yes. mutant technology. Here it's just synergy, right? It's just yeah. like, so I love that because it's like, we're going to train people to test their powers, to use their powers, to team up with different people and and kind of explore that without the formality of uh, of sword, which is like, there's a grid and you're, you play these roles or whatever. This is a lot more yep. free form. This is a lot more fastball special kind of thing. Yes. And I, that's such a fun thing to play with. Like, I don't need to go to some other foreign country to, to, to rescue some more unknown mutants. We've got enough mutants. Let's hang out on Krakoa and, and let's have a good time. And that's I think one of the reasons, one of the things I really loved about this issue is that we haven't seen a lot of the new mutants actually even work together, even yeah. when they were rescuing people, yep. not with each other. And then in nope. this moment, we actually see magic using magic with Wolfsbane creating more wolves like that. I didn't even think that she could do that. But the fact that we're seeing how they can work together and how they can be seen in battle with each other is just amazing. We don't really get to see that with any of these moves together. Mm-hmm. Okay, how the fuck did Wolfsbane go into magic's like stepping disc and come out as five wolves? Well, because and then magic, the wolves are like magic. some of them. Is it like a Jamie Madrox situation? Like, do they all merge back together? Like, it's are they? She did have that weird power yeah. enhancement by the mother. Ileana had, knows Eleven. magic, y'all. It's yeah, magic. I was I was about to say she went <laughs> oh, through yeah. a magic portal. Right, yeah, sure you go into limbo. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you can yeah. you can make that. You know, it's but it is. I think I agree that it's a lot less obvious than like when when Ileana used uh, her teleportation powers to create like a Cyclops optic barrage. Right, like that was a yeah. lot more logical. This is a little more yeah magical. I guess is the only word yeah. for it. Right, Abra- like, okay. <laughs> yeah. and and, and Warlock found a new like uh like soul buddy to merge with. Oh, yeah. Baby, Warlock, if Jimmy yeah. Proudstar was wearing those. Shorts, you know, I'd be looking up <laughs> with him Shit. Yes, Warlock, Warlock said, Come here, baby. I got a seat for you. Yep. Vroom, vroom. It even warms itself. I got it. Wow. I got it. <laughs> There's a I I definitely think uh, Warlock is my favorite queer robot from space. <laughs> oh, he totally is. He totally is. He's oh, yeah. I've never like except for Danger. Maybe he's pansexual robot. Whichever. Whoever. Where is Danger, Danger? By the way, we don't even know where Danger is anymore. Does Danger still exist? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, probably. Uh, possibly. Mm. Danger's running the Danger Room in Westchester with the Sidari. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Danger. I think would be a you know a, a very was that a like thing we've, from we've never even the seen Giantized Nightcrawler? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> Wait, we've never seen, and tell me if I'm hallucinating this, but I think I remember back in uh in the Hoxpox pages, there was a data page that had like the map of Krakoa and you know listed all the different areas. And there is like a danger room island or a danger there island. Is. Yeah. yeah. And yes. it's crazy to me that we've been in this era for so long.
long and we have yet to see one panel there. And again, mm. I think that's on purpose because it's like, well, we don't want to just make it, it's a danger room put on an island. It's like, there's right. there's an opportunity there to tell a story and I'm dying to see what it Ooh, is. Oh, wait, is that where they are? Are they on the danger room island when they have the- No, I think they're the actually- The island changes the every day. Like they also made a point of saying like, the island changes every day, it's different all the time. So. Right, yeah, don't get too attached <laughs> to many maps. That's true. When we talk about, we talked about the synergy of the characters, but in the synergy mm. of these books, like, okay, we had our Madeline Pryor stuff in Hellions. And you know what? The Quiet Council uh, being like, uh, uh, nah, sorry, we're not resurrecting Maddie. Like, no, 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 no. Clothes, that's another thing. Made sense in the terms of that book. But Vita picking up on it here and just having like doe-eyed, scared Gabby face of oh. what they said they wouldn't resurrect clones because of Madeline Pryor. And what does that mean for me? Right. Was heartbreaking and yeah. her like such a perfect character beat and synergy among books that 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 was one of my top moments of this well and it's seizing on such a big question mark right like because Mm -hmm. and it's speaking of difficult characters to tackle props to zeb wells for right out of the gate grabbing madeline Pryor, right like yeah talk about a difficult complicated convoluted character like awesome right but it has left all of these questions and yeah i agree The, the fact that vita took this opportunity to to have that conversation and to basically portray havoc as just wandering around the island talking to <laughs> anybody who will listen about his brain. like uh, he's like they won't bring my girlfriend back and i and i love that, that gabby's response was just like when they were like trying to appease her and tell her oh no don't worry you'll be fine you're gonna of course be resurrected she's like mm-hmm. I, I guess she's like what about evan like what i'm about- so glad yes. they brought up evan i'm like yeah. i love evan i want evan to come back especially since we lost apocalypse like well, yeah evan well listen we're not going to talk clones without me bringing up resurrecting joseph who was the hot magneto young clone and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna take the opportunity to to hijack the podcast for a minute and, and speak on it because listen he was his own person as much as madeline is her own person as much as yes. abby is her own person they just shared genes and i gotta you know turn side eye over to the house of, of magneto the house of m mm-hmm. which only has two occupants magneto and polaris so until somebody f- and she lives in the boneyard now right she well she <laughs> she right yeah basically right so it's like if you're not gonna fix scarlet witch and and quicksilver hell resurrect zaladane and joseph and give magneto a little bit of family because i think magneto would see the value in having a younger prototype son figure that he can kind of shape and give some direction to and let's face it we're not going to be able to resurrect forever at some point i think magneto would accept like at some point i'm going to be gone and we'll need you know the, the people will need somebody with my strength better it be somebody that i can help shape i just think that there's such a good story to be told there so which will set up for great drama when wanda and pietro come around ultimately like yes give me give me the magneto wars like i would love to see them <laughs> I would like for them to come back rather than the clone to be his protege because I feel like that would take over Polaris because they have the same power and she's as powerful, even more powerful than him. Just has more emotional baggage. Yeah. I love the fact that we get to see a glimpse of Shadow King right yes. before the new mutants, you know, Magic and Danny and Karma and, and Rain and everybody show up for a training session. You get to yeah. see him chasing some of the the little uh, new mutants like uh, Nature Girl and Anoli Scout um you know through the woods and stuff and it's like holy 
shit. Oh wait, I didn't. I didn't, read that. Island. I didn't read that as Shadow King. I wasn't. Uh, that's, not, ooh, that's not. That's Shadow a different King. look. I did. I read it as some kind of like Danny Moonstar created thing. But yeah, oh, that's an interesting no, way to. I mean, look at look at the uh, the demon from the very uh, let's see, like the third page in, and then look at the face uh, on the demon that's chasing them through the woods. I, that's where I drew my parallel from. I, I was think, like, holy shit. Because remember, wow. they, they haven't had anybody really teaching them or corralling them or or training them or getting them to do anything. They've just been off running around getting into trouble on their own. So I thought this was just them out on their own. Are and then the, you know, the black black thing whipping the ground at them? Yeah. yeah and I mean, look yeah, at he's chasing Bana. That's, that's the water guy. He, he, you can see the transition. No, but you can see it. Look at uh, mid panel. It That black and red is fading off of him and that is very reminiscent of shadow king huh. oh you think he's oh because he is one of the mutants that goes to oh mm-hmm. i mean controlling mm-hmm. them and watching them okay. oh okay. my god okay yeah, and that was our big reveal at the end is that he has been we have to presume that he's doing this in you know sinister fashion yeah mm-hmm. but that yeah. he has been secretly meeting with some of the kids the kids yeah. have been coming yeah. to him and talking to him and things like that that feels to me like the beat from going back to Morrison's run. It sure Zorn, does. It is a little, yeah. Yeah, where Zorn is kind of like shepherding kind of the, you know, the the disenfranchised mutants or whatever, his oh, special yeah. class. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm really curious to see what happens out of that. And I really like, what's her name? Cosmar? Cosmar, oh, yeah. 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 I, I mean, she's still around. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah for, for, you know, for all the stuff, all, all the unfulfilled promise of, uh, mm-hmm. of the earlier issues, I am glad that Brisson created this character and she's still around. Yeah, yeah, I love that we have the water guy and then the nightmare child. Like, they're really mm-hmm. cool powers. They're yeah. not like the usual, you know, handsome mutants. They're like, they can't control how, they can't control that they don't look human, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like that we get more X-Men that because that's what I miss about more. Can we talk like about Dust? Oh, Dust is, Dust is there, which I'm very uh, about. Okay, I'm why is Petra, why is Petra with hanging out with the kids, training with the kids? <laughs> I went down a wormhole on Twitter and people actually know this character because I don't. Petra died yeah she died when she was younger and you know we did have a scene in the x-men when she was drinking but i don't mm-hmm. think it was like that the only that's only the american thing is 21 age or older some countries even have 16 is legal to drink so i'm sure koa they don't care so she no <laughs> i think they care a little bit i mean nine-year-olds with superpowers probably not a great idea i don't want anyone under like the age 15 to drink but you know um i'm sure she's not broccoli boy is not allowed to drink yeah i mean i like the the whole Petra and Sway getting wasted on the moon, like I just kind of like <laughs> gloss over that because that to me felt so I don't know unnecessary. Yeah. And then people getting online and being like, "Oh, well, they've been traumatized and blah blah blah." And it's like, "Girl, relax. You don't have to justify it to me." I just right. didn't appreciate it as a story beat. It, to me, it yeah. wasn't interesting. It felt kind of it was like, like their reintroduction, and it was like, eh, and they're like all fawning over Vulcan. Eh. Mm-hmm. I love I love the fact though that we're getting to see a little bit of these young mutants doing their thing, learning how to coordinate their attacks together and whatnot. And it's such a wide variety. You have Sprite and Nature Girl, Scout, yes. Anoli, Waterboy, No Girl, Cosmar, you know, like you have so many there. And it sets it up for a great and varied story because you can pull from any one of those groups of kids and like really go in on it and and see what they're going through so i love that 
I, I, what, one of the things I really love about this whole first issue, I like the, that we get actually all the little mutants actually test their powers, battle each other. Because mm -hmm. I don't even know that Nature Girl could control nature like that. I thought she'd just talk to animals and do all that and like control maybe the animals. I didn't know she could control the vines and everything, basically like poison ivy. And I didn't know Anol had um, a big tongue like that, like a frog. Oh, yeah. Anoli. <laughs> He's an Anoli, a lizard. Anally. Yeah, Anally. for Nature yeah. Girl, you got to go back to Christina Range Gen X run where she really oh, kind of got her developed. That um, is amazing. Oh, that is like uh, I fell in love with her and I boy. You know who else I was very happy to see in this book? Martha. Martha, the floating oh, brain. Oh, yeah. Speaking well, of Morrison's greatest time. hits, like, mm -hmm. awesome character. The uh, big brain. The floating brain. Not Ernst, which I, but it's funny you bring up Ernst because I was thinking about Ernst too. And I guess, you know what? Maybe seeing uh, seeing No Girl there with the Shadow King also kind of evokes that, that Morrison period. But very yeah, much. Well, well yeah. not even just the Morrison run, but was it in the Hunt for Wolverine stuff where uh, Martha was the one going? going to sinister with the dna and stuff oh yeah that's true oh yeah martha's very <sighs> skeptical she's she she wishy-washies her alliance a lot right she's not with <laughs> yeah martha's not convinced you know martha's always uh it's just a cool character like somebody that like you never really yeah, like i ain't got no body i ain't got no time for this right <laughs> I Thank wonder. If, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm morally flexible. Right? I, I wonder if. Ooh, hubba hubba. I wonder if Shadow King promised Martha actually a body or something. Because wouldn't? Ooh. That's another thing with resurrection. If would Martha want to be reborn for uh, to have a body? Yeah. I really Ooh. hope that. That's a great. Like, there's so many of these characters that need those questions asked and developed, and like just seeing Martha No Girl in this and knowing that a capable writer is helming this. Yeah, it gives me hope that like we will get to follow that story at some point. Yeah, I think Vida oh, Ayala sure is going to develop a wonderful storyline. I cannot wait, honestly. Yeah, they I have so I, much I, like oh, I have the characters. So much yeah. in Vida at this point. Like, and I wasn't really familiar with their work too much going back. I mean, I've been just like everybody else, waiting mm -hmm. uh, for Children of the Atom to drop and disappointed when it's been pushed back and all that. Oh my god! Uh, but if I really think about it, like I, I know the Marauders is issue uh that focused on storm that was clearly vita and i was like yeah. okay that gave me so much hope because that was i was like i haven't gone back to to explore all of their work and and see what they're all about mm -hmm. but that to me was was so promising it was like okay shit if this is if this is my first time sitting down reading your work and it's this like okay hell yeah and just continues they just continue to deliver so like that I don't marauders know. issue has to be my favorite issue of the year like was, oh my oh god yeah. just like I, just the depth which with they like explored storm oh, mm -hmm. oh yeah love with and i would suggest if you're looking to you know talk about vita or look at to read their past work i would read prisoner x if you haven't read oh my it. god it's so good they had such it. a grasp on danny moonstar in that like and then like uh, and polaris had good arcs in it and it was just really and gabby too like gabby oh, gabby was yeah. fun it's yeah. funny because like of you know you hear a lot of mixed thoughts on on that whole era uh mm -hmm. but one thing that pretty much everybody can agree on is that prisoner x was was one of the standouts and should not be missed and i i think it's it. so telling that the two best most critically acclaimed at least from the fan series uh prisoner x and uh extremist like those oh, two writers big. are still are actually being brought into the current x books because mm. uh, vita did prisoner x and mm -hmm. then uh leah Williams did uh extremists so like oh, and then, speaking like, of extremists I need a teeny Howard oh, to yes. 
I need Teeny Howard to bring up. It's it's it'll be thrown back into left field. But I need people to address Age of X Men. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're talking about Fred and Bob, Fred, Fred and yes. Betsy, Fred, Fred, yes. Fred and Betsy, Fred and Betsy. Need to be together again. They were such that a was couple. that was good representation of like a big person actually getting and having love and showing empathy. And mm-hmm. that was the most growth Blob has had in his whole entire existence. And I and just back. the existential crisis that Betsy was going through. She's like, you know, I, I just like I hated myself. That's why like i loved being in quantum's body like mm-hmm. holy shit and that was amazing it's true one of the things i'm most excited about seeing that uh, shadow which i love the character anyway i love what he's about he's pure darkness and evil and i love that we're getting more backstory <laughs> on him but mm-hmm. with the reign of x poster and everything and knowing that legion is oh, going to be yes. brought back i am yes. so excited mm-hmm. for vita to probably bring back legion because legion has a very big connection with shadow king and legion was introduced yeah. first with danny and um cypher and uh yep. and, and warlock so they're those are the first people that actually met him well and xavier but <laughs> the fact that we might see him again obviously we're obviously going to see him again with these characters and so it's all coming to like a full circle him being reintroduced in a new mute book would be amazing mm-hmm. glad we're going to see some more legion on the page because i think that's mm-hmm. and it's a tricky story because again coming out of age of x-men right like mm-hmm. he's a prominent character there so he's been you know name checked as a mega mutant so i mean there's definitely a big story still to be told and oh yeah and again i mean i know everybody wants all things right uh i think it's it's good that they're spreading these stories out it's good in a broad sense that we're not rushing to you know get to some of these big stories that are still out there like i'm mm-hmm. glad we haven't yeah. seen hide nor hair of orcus in a hot right because yeah. you know they're still in the shadows fucking around you know that that's a big story that's you know on the horizon eventually but like there's so many other possibilities like we don't have to yeah. race to but get the there's fun. a big shield has to Right on the rocks poster. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like Shield, I mean Shield Sword really has to deal with Orcus because they're they're in space too. So you know, mm-hmm. like there's gotta be some kind of perfect energy with that. And oh my god, yeah, Legion and Shadow King. Like obviously if anybody's watched the Legion show, like yes. like yes. Shadow then, King was worked in so well. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it really was. And then you would see Legion hasn't seen Xavier since Xavier died in um Avengers versus X-Men. So Oh, that's right. Yeah, so this would be him seeing his dad since then and he had like such an emotional breakdown after his dad died so mm-hmm. and his dad is a different person kind of now so mm. it's a lot different plus i don't know if legion could even technically be allowed on Krakoa because he is one of his powers is pre-cause so one of, one of his like 364 powers. <laughs> I think yeah. he is legion name a power he can probably manifest it i think so, yeah every yeah. power basically <laughs> I, I i liked i liked i like him kind of being like the crazy crazy jane of like the universe so like yeah they, they would have to have um they would probably have to have a phalanx with him of of mutants that could either cancel out his powers or at least somehow corral him maybe even transport him very quickly away from the island in case he decided or in case he had uh an incident or an episode um that could prove exceedingly detrimental but yeah like he would be a difficult mutant to let on to the island simply because of how erratic his power can be mm-hmm. and and um, how much damage he can do when he's having an episode. I wonder, and, and I hope we see this in X-Factor because of Aurora, but I wonder if the, through the resurrect, resurrection protocols, if they do any sort of, if it, if they try to fix any of the past traumas or any of the past 
God. Mental well, issues? Look at, look like, at Rain Sinclair, right? Like, right out of the yeah. gate, her resurrection clearly showed, like, that this is a refreshed character, right? Yes. Like, this is her minus a lot of that trauma, which might still on some level be in there and part of her, like, larger experience. But, yeah, it feels like there is some tinkering that's that's been done to, to get, you know, somebody's best self. Yeah. But obviously not that much tinkering can be done because look at Havoc, still broken. So I don't know if they could fix Legion because he's been broken. He's way broken. I think it's good that they're not just fixing everybody. Like I, yeah. I find it so compelling that Havoc is still fucked. Um, I was going to say, I would worry about resurrecting Legion because of not just the layers of trauma with like Shadow King being abandoned by his father, just all the shit that's gone on, people that he's unmade and whatnot. I also worry about the severe mental illness that he suffers from as well and yep. yes he could come back slightly better and they could fix him in increments or he could i don't know accidentally get killed on Araco and be brought back sharper which could make a lot of his powers and mental illness and 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 destructive Ooh. force sharper more focused and a lot more aggressive so mm. that could be that could and be a problem we don't even know that's a good point because when they brought wild child back they didn't mm. bring back his wild heart personality they brought back wild child so it's yeah. not like his best self it's just like mm -hmm. sharper self <laughs> yeah yeah we don't even know where legion is because he's not he didn't die mm -hmm. i i what i my, my one of my theories is that you know professor x and mora obviously you know had a lot of scheme before they got krakoa together <laughs> and Ugh. he did come back after age of x but we didn't see where he went mm -hmm. so maybe they have him trapped somewhere maybe in a an induced psychic coma because xavier can do that he's helped him control yeah. his mind for mm -hmm. so yeah oh no in the no like adjacent to the no place there's like that like room that moira had proteus in when he was growing up and his power mm -hmm. went out of control yeah. which oh my god that retcon though of xavier seducing a mentally ill woman to create mm -hmm. this like son yeah. that is whoa That's, like what the yeah, hell yeah it's and they're sad. just kind of leaving her like what the yeah. heck, dude what? see i'm ready for the repercussions of that too for legion to discover that because he's gonna mm -hmm. feel super duper portrayed by xavier because he already already questions xavier even when he died about his mother now this will mm -hmm. just turn I mean, it, it, the original version wasn't good either. Like, she no, was his wasn't. patient, and, you know, he yeah. banged her and then left. Like, that wasn't the good version either. There's something that's been so suspect about uh, about Proteus from the very beginning. Aside from the fact that he walks around literally naked, acting uh, <laughs> with energy. Hubba, hubba. Like, he's got, and... he's just, he wears Xavier's body like it's a, a suit. And that, there's just something so weird about that story that uh, there's more to it than like I can't just accept that on face value like oh yeah because his powers burn out his body so he's got you know spare Xavier bodies in the closet it's like uh, I mean <laughs> let me try this one on today I literally know that Xavier and Moira manipulated people in order to create Legion and Proteus so yep. the fact that one of those is on the board and one is not and the one that's on the board is walking around literally in Xavier's body is like okay so what's what's behind that right mm -hmm. like how much of that is proteus and how much of it is just xavier pulling the strings of a puppet and i love that i love that our conversation has careened so far beyond you <laughs>
<laughs> no, for real. Like we are, we no. are so deep in yeah. the woods, and that to me yeah. speaks to what a good issue it is. Because yes, there's so much good stuff on the panel, yeah. but there's so much other good stuff that is just in your head because of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh I, gosh, like, yeah, just... not, like the entire New Mutants run before this issue did not evoke as many thoughts no. in my head as this issue is what I'm yeah. saying. Like, there's so much packed into here about Shadow King, about the validity of clones, about mutant synergy, about like all of these obscure characters and even new characters we've never seen. Like, it's just so rich, whereas everything before has just been pretty straightforward. Like, yeah. you know, Tabitha going and, and rescuing Beak and the family, like there wasn't much more to that other than what you saw on page, you know? Although drunk Tabitha was like something amazing. <laughs> Tabitha is going to need uh, to start Krakoa's first AA meeting. Like, <laughs> She really is. Tabby's got some stuff to work through still. Yeah. She's going to have to hold it in the Krakoa community center. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like maybe this is like, oh, this sounds, you know, makes dates me and makes me sound old, but like there's uh, like, I know that we're not another comics codes authority anymore. And I know that this isn't like being written to teach children, you know, morality or whatever. I get that that's not what you're coming to X-Men for, but like people just getting wasted in the middle of a mission or just getting wasted on the moon or it just is kind of like pointless to me. Like seeing people yeah, but getting wasted and celebrating something, right. go for it. But like you're on a mission and you're getting wasted. It just doesn't. I, I just, it's one thing of this whole era that happened a couple of times that I'm like so unnecessary. Like well, it's see, like, Cabby has been that person for a while though. Like that was yeah. just, yeah. that sure. was chosen to be like something that, you know, the way that they're going to paint her, but that, that didn't, that's not new. But I, it also yeah. shows the need for this team and what they're doing to help yeah. give these mutants the purpose. Yeah. Cause like <laughs> it said in one of the data pages is that a lot of the younger mutants just felt lost mm-hmm. and they were like, you know, either like getting drunk, getting destroying drunk, property, property, mischief. Yeah. Trying to hurt themselves. That's totally boom, boom. Right. in those pieces. Exactly. That's why I like imagine Dazzler's like Slurms McKenzie. She's like, I'm so tired of partying. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's what the whole, that's what I feel like they did a lot of the drinking and partying for. Cause Coab basically was like a paradise country, but then mm-hmm. it's only, it's, it was the honeymoon stage, but there's only so much of that, that you can take after a while. You get tired of being on vacation. You're like, can I do something? Can I like actually be productive? I'm, I'm tired of just lounging about and drinking. And that's, yeah. I think that's where we're at that stage. Now we're past the honeymoon stage. We're in the reign of X. Now it's not in the dawn. It's not in the happy go lucky. It's like, what, what can we do now? How can we be more productive and actually prosper? I'm yeah. also so happy to see Danny Moonstar step up and take such a, such yes. an active role because like that, that's another thing that I think has been a little bit missing. Uh, she's just such a great character and I'm just, I'm happy to see her in a leadership role, which I think yep. has been like hinted at, but at the end of the day, the only real leader that we've seen of the new mutants so far in this era has been magic. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, she's uh, I would say she's a, a hands-off kind of leader. She's not a micro, <laughs> you know, uh, but seeing Danny kind of like give more direction, I, I think is, is so, so good and so earned and like such a part of who she is and, and what she has been. Ghana as a leader is crazy because like, if, if you, you've never seen her actually try to lead Limbo, like <laughs> the only time you've ever seen any kind of like leadership meeting in Limbo was when Amanda Sefton was magic, like with that whole yeah. council and stuff in that magic book there. But like, yeah, Yana's like, fuck it. Go, I'm 
I'm going to go oh. kill some stuff over here. Well, I don't think Ileana technically even really wants to be queen of Limbo, but, you know, she, she's kind of stuck with it. She kind of feels a responsibility with it. Yeah. I feel like if we went down the line and actually, you know, did a more of an in-depth story on her, which hopefully mm-hmm. they will at some point, um, again, I think she would she would say, like, yeah, I don't really care about Limbo. She hasn't even really hung out there in a long time that we've seen. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, like, what you were saying, though, Arturo, about how you're excited about Danny Moonstar, which I am, too, because, like, my, probably my third favorite X character, I'm so excited that Karma is going to actually seem to be, like, central to this plot with the Shadow King story. Like, oh, my God, she has been ignored this whole thing. She's had, like, one or two, like, cute, like, one-liners when she, like, had the uh, alien punch himself in the face, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> which was just lyrical. But besides that, she's kind of just been, like, sitting there, like, I'm Karma. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Danny's been, is one of the best leaders, in my opinion, especially of mm-hmm. the Oh yeah, and I'm I'm we saw some of that in like Hickman's X Men line or whatever, but we mostly just seen Magic do it. And Danny's honestly a better leader than Magic. Magic is more mm-hmm. powerful, but Danny is more level headed and yeah, I feel well, like actually understands the younger mutants more. Empathy. I would love to see Danny potentially get a spot on the council because oh god yeah, that would kind of make sense because there is nobody from you know nobody representing this side of of the island basically. Yeah. and and I think it would be even cooler if they give her that responsibility after the events of this issue right like yeah. after we're showing oh, yeah. that, that initiative and taking charge like they i don't know it's it's there's just That's so really so idea. much potential here mm-hmm. for great stories with these great characters i feel like danny's the best of both storm and scott because she has the mm. strategic no-nonsense leadership of scott but she also has the you know also no nonsense with storm but she's also a yeah. nurturer and a teacher and like actually cares about the young kids and understands them and gets to know them you know so she knows how to better them that before. general of new mutants really did get they got so they got scott they got xavier they got storm and they even had magneto teaching them so like they got the best of all these like these icons in the x universe which makes me really miss cannonball a little bit right now i am glad he's not around simply because i think it's giving more uh more opportunity for for danny and iliana to to kind of shine but i mean i i always go back to you know to the 90s kind of as a as a reflex and really they did a lot of work to cultivate that Cannonball was the leader of the New Mutants and that he had learned, <laughs> had learned so much from Xavier and learned so much from Magneto and learned so much from Cable that he was like forging his own, you oh, know. Oh, he was a goddamn mascot. Yeah. Oh, he was so, he was like, he was But like, that's it why was like it got good. To him. That's why X-Force got good once they sent him to the X-Men. <laughs> once they sent Cannonball to the X-Men is when that book got good. Mm-hmm. It really did. It really did. Hey everybody, Nico here, and one of the things that we've sought to do on X's for Podcast is cover, like we've now said, all of the appearances of mutants here at Marvel. And in order to do so, we're catching up on some titles we kind of slept on at first. This team and I covered the first trade of Savage Avengers, which consisted of the free comic book day story as well as issues one through five. Returning with me are Jonah, Nathan, and Raven to discuss the much deeper character study of issues 6 through 10 as well as the Savage Avengers annual. All brought to you by Jerry Dugan. Now, we take careful consideration to point out the art team because there certainly has been a lot of 
lack of acknowledgement of the contributions of artists lately, and it's important to make sure, especially when a rotating art team like this is coming through and giving each story its own unique feel, it's just so significant to make sure they get their attention and their due. So we hope you guys enjoy this one as much as we love doing it. There's something about Savage Avengers that's just so much fun. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram and that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hello and I'm Raven aka Dame Red Bento, the queer aunt ho arty, <laughs> art ho auntie <laughs> that everybody loves. So go ahead and come find me. Just type in Dame Red Bento. I'm all over the net. Hey, I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Instagram and Twitter doing random polls and weird memes. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survived this experience, unlike any sex trafficker who was shown in this book. Jericho died. Uh, Stephen Strange <sighs> almost died. We saw a Doombot die. There was a lot of death. And I, I, I can't wait to get into all of it. But the first thing I want to do is I want to make sure, because I don't know if anybody has seen this, but lately there's been a lot of talk about not crediting the artists in the book. And I just want to get, I want to go right off the top and say, Jerry Dugan, you're doing a beautiful job with the story, but pretty intense, you know, credit has to be issued. For Savage Avengers number six, it's Kim Jacinto and Tamara Bonvillain on artist and color artist. We have Ron Garney and Matt Mila over on Savage Avengers annual number one. On Savage Avengers seven through 10, we have Patch Zercher and Hava Tartaglia as artist and color artist. And I just need to say how fucking blown away I am by every page of art in this book, like top to bottom. I just need to give a huge shout out because last issue was all Mike Diodato. And, you know, it's all just sort of me kind of just being like, yeah, I mean, I read Wizard in the 90s. So I think Mark mm-hmm. Mike Diodato is the greatest. And, you know, I just I I pleasure myself to the idea that of him, you know, wasting away an entire black marker on each page. So, yeah, but this book had so many varied artists on every page. I just wanted to make sure that we went through and we credited everybody at the top. And not that I'm asking anybody to pick, but I'm asking everybody to pick whether it was (laughs) Savage Avengers number six, Savage Avengers annual number one or Savage Avengers seven through ten. You know, fuck the plot. Just fuck it. I don't want it. Right. I just want to know which book had the art that really took your breath away. The hardest. I don't fuck things without substance, but my choice is number six. My choice is number six, too. How about you guys? I'm going with the annual with that, like, fucking hot ass, like, Damon Hellstrom and, like, lava. Mm hmm. I will honestly say I can't pick a favorite artist. I think the artwork has been really amazing and consistent throughout. Mm -hmm. That is what I've been keep showing up for is the artwork. The plot line is kind of... (laughs) (laughs) I am just there for the action. They went for it this time, though. (laughs) They went for it! Did they? Did they? Oh, oh, I have notes on how they went for it. This was Conan trying to get his Emmy. (laughs) I I do think that there was a lot of season two energy about this. Like, actually, actually, okay? So season one is this big sort of like, I I don't know why, but I was like, what's the creepy version of the Avengers theme? Kind of like, (laughs) right? It it just kind of comes in heavy and weighty and sonically sonically kind of like a wall of 
There's just there's something about the intensity of Mike Diodata's darkness that really played into that first arc so well. And yeah, as we pointed out, there really wasn't a lot of characterization in that arc outside of, you know, stabby stab bucket of blood and I hid behind my dead wife. Emo Avengers. That's what it, it was. It was very much. Yeah. <laughs> it was emo Avengers with like a good amount of self like almost like self-aggrandizing humor and self-effacing uh, <laughs> humor. Like yeah. it knew how to make fun of itself from the get-go, right? <laughs> and so then or at least give we, us enough material that we could make fun of it for it. Yeah. Yeah, and enjoy what was there. Absolutely. And we get to this volume and right off the bat, there's a lot I like about issue 6. I thought Punisher and Conan on a trek back to the US with bodies, like I think they were trying to say <laughs> look how they're brothers. Yeah. You know, even though their war is very different and their wartime is completely sort of dissociated from one another's understanding of war, right? And we see that, you know, I hate this weapon and it's a gun and like you'd think that, you know, Conan's like I want to kill everything. No. Conan's a little bit more like killing should be about than the eating of the thing. Like he's so much more ceremonial with his murder, right? Like not quite Dexter, but there's definitely a ceremony to it. And seeing the juxtaposition of Conan and Punisher and the sort of ways that they go to war, something became clear to me that I guess I'd never realized. True, Punisher does it for country. Like that's that's Frank Castle. He's a fucking patriot, right? He but Punisher bad. But well, I mean, like, but he went to war for country because that's what yeah. you did at the time oh, and you didn't yeah. get have independent yes, yes, yes. thought right so okay, like even yeah, if, on yeah well and like because even if he didn't do it for that then he's doing it for his family exactly he's doing it for sad right now conan is from the same age in a lot of ways you didn't choose to become an adventurer or not everybody was a fucking barbarian there was no school right <laughs> so but Conan doesn't do it for his family. He does it to become part of great tales. The only tales Punisher wants to be part of are the nightmares you put into Boogeyman's heads. He yeah. wants to be the things that nightmares are scared of. Conan wants to be sung in mead halls. And in that regard, they are soldiers separated, not just by the ideology of their war, you know, this idea of guns versus sorcery and sword, but like they literally fight for completely different things. <laughs> like they literally kind of think each other are kind of silly in a small way. And I genuinely love the mutual respect they come to have for one another. And the art just transcended it into something else completely. I was so incredibly happy when I started this trade and this was what I I got. <laughs> Conan really? comes across to me like a Klingon warrior because he's like when he has a Punisher's gun, he's like this is no weapon for a true warrior and I like half, halfway expected him to say, I'm going to bring honor to our houses. <laughs> no, screw that. He's like, damn it! It failed. And then he beats <laughs> a freaking dinosaur to death. <laughs> With the gun! <laughs> well, God. you forgot to mention where he asks Frank, do you worship, damn it? Yes! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and he's like, oh, like Crom, that miserable bastard. Right, and so that was another thing. We kept being like, you know, Crom's kind of a shithead. And then all of a sudden in this issue, it's like, no, Crom's a shithead. And so we felt pretty, you know, we felt pretty vindicated in reading it that way. But, you know, this issue was so much fun, I think, because there wasn't a plot so much as there was a passage of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way that passage of time helped me reconcile the acts of the, you know, the, the whole first trades worth of actions, mm -hmm. it, it 
sort of softened the fact that there was so much bucket of blood in such a short weekend. Mm -hmm. It was really intense. And here we have this sort of softening of those edges. And it's Jerry Dugan getting an opportunity to like dive into the psychology of these characters. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I walked away with a better understanding of Punisher. I've read too much Garth and his Punisher to pretend that there is anything to understand there. (laughs) But I am saying that I found what we were given here a compelling reason these two might work together because like that might be what i am grading this book on at this point do i buy this team up yes or no yeah i buy this team up completely Mm -hmm. so are we going from a like a return to form of marvel team ups oh yeah this is marvel savage team up i really like it sometimes it's like a big old title party and other times it is not Frank Castle turns out to be way more of an, a little emo bitch than I ever thought I would say. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus H. Christ, man, you're supposed to be scary as fuck, and instead you're just sad, mopey, emo boy. Holy crap, you could give a master class to Colossus. What the hell, dude? Oh my god, when he, when he like says, like, do you think Krom would think I was weak for carrying my, my family for the month? Yes. And- and then Conan's like, who cares what the fucking bastard thinks? Oh my god, it's like, yeah. Well, I mean, I actually thought that was more a a breakdown of like the idea that, you know, Conan's like, well, in my time, in my age, and I think that was Punisher kind of being like, would Krom judge me? And Conan's like, yeah, who cares what that bastard thinks? Like, I thought that was reflective of their growth and brotherhood. No, no. Why would Frank Castle give a single fuck what somebody else's god? I, I don't think he does. Him? I think he's using it as a, a like a hyperbolic question to show Conan the development of their narrative, which was coming to understand one another's gods and world, even if they're foreign and removed. If he had if if he had understood Conan at all for that month, he would have never asked that particular question because he would have known that Conan thinks that Krom is an absolute bastard from about week one. <laughs> so for him to ask for that at the end, like, come on. Well, Conan is so committed to this bastard. Everything is by Krom. That was like uh, one of the things like yeah, we posted that. As a at. swear word. <laughs> <laughs> like if you can't figure out that it's a swear word like damn he's frank he's- castle he's got yeah. ammunition for a brain you're asking for him <laughs> but but like he went and like on the way home he went and sat in the freaking shipping container just like pouting right right i'm like oh my god so we read this really differently because i thought he walked away with like an understanding and like <laughs> i read it as he like confronted this other soldier type and after this incredibly painful process, he's just like reflecting and traveling because that's really what he does. He sits and travels quietly. I thought this was actually a really good story of growth for the Punisher. Hmm. So it's really interesting to hear that you guys are like, no, man, baby. And like, that's really, you know, it's totally legitimate. But I had definitely seen it as a more engaged process on Frank's part. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, okay. not even, it's not even man, baby. Like if he was like, well, Crom better, you know, f- you know, think that I'm I'm strong. For-. No, no, it, it just, he seemed emo. Just like, yeah, you, you seem really sad. Not like you're having any sort of. Uh, uh, growth or anything from it. But I do like that that Conan definitely sticks to his guns and is just Conan the whole way through. He doesn't really seem to learn too much, but he does form a a bond or a friendship with Frank Castle, so I can absolutely respect that. And I mean, he may... Oh my god, I didn't know that uh, Conan was such a good seamstress, because... 
holy hell holy. the armor he put together and and the and the the coats that he put together for that arctic travel holy shit. like barbarian helmet classes had them in oh off the God. chain because like the, he made helmets like what yeah that would that was that was crazy that was amazing though but i loved it and, well, and now here's good with that now here's my question jonah what did you oh. think of Homek captain king conan <laughs> i was like yeah this makes sense because i could do that in the game so like i could have that armor so i was like yeah okay i get it <laughs> do that. You're, I, do that. you're about project runway the hyborian age here. <laughs> oh, oh trust in believe i specifically i'm not wearing the best armor i'm wearing the armor that makes me look the best <laughs> that's Tim the hottest Gunn. that is that is the best like compromise on that i've ever heard jonah you were with me i think that number six's art team was just the most out of this world those surreally intense blues and purples set across mm -hmm. the drabness of the browns and the plainness of the white right what did this comic do for i mean i'm telling you the art the art should have done it for you but I'm giving you the opportunity to tell me that. How did you feel about issue six? Well, thank you for putting words in my mouth. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing about uh, chapter six was it was two bros traveling across Antarctica five feet apart because they're not gay. But like they were really sweet about it. And I understand where you're coming from, Nico, that this was a kind of foil of two warriors, a modern day versus a more barbaric warrior. And what that means in terms of fighting, respect, honor, women, beer, all that kind of stuff. And but I also hear the the side of Raven and Nathan that it come for Frank, it's a lot of kind of being quiet and not really responding and trying to either grow or connect, but more of just being there. Where I think Conan tends to have more of the characterization. Frank falls a little flat for me, but I really I don't know. I, I can't even fully pinpoint where in the art that I just love it so much. I don't know if it's just the very crisp lines for me, the color palette of all the scenes, Conan punching a guy in the face to take his horse. There was a lot. <laughs> there was really a lot that I enjoyed. And I was really excited to get, go to see what was going. And then I realized it was the art for that issue only. And I was like, oh, not that I don't love the other art, but I was like, I like that art. Okay, the spread with Conan and with the gun and like the next page where it's like bam 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 and he's shooting all the raptors like that. Oh my god, that was great. I love that. And and that was really great that they had this beautiful bright jungle uh scenery. Like you had these really great intense colors. And then yeah, when they crossed over into the Arctic part of it, it the color palette completely changed and it really did well. And I mean, you know, even even when them dragging three coffins behind them for, you know, six foot social distancing <laughs> it was uh, it was absolutely delicious to like look at and really take in and those color changes and those color scenes really told a great background story and and really brought you into what was going on and you know one of the ways i in like i look at art is what book can i imagine that person on and i'm looking at the art for number six and i'm like i could picture this art team on another big magical story i could see them on a space story and then when we got to like an urbanized area
area out of like, you know, the tundra, <laughs> I was immediately like, this could be daredevil mm-hmm. and it would oh. be gorgeous. And like, there was just so much expressiveness to the, I, I think the art being so incredibly dexterous is part of what made it seem like such a powerful transition of time. Yes. Right. Yep. I, and I loved that doom splash at the end because, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but this issue was two bros bonding about loving blood too much and then the next issue was we're gonna put dark magic in the cocaine so stop doing drugs and (laughs) i really thought that that transition was a hard turn into speedy out of nowhere and i i just i found the incredible shift in tone of note we had that whole first trade one note and now this second trade comes in and it's definitely hitting some different melodies than the first one did along the way. Now, how did you guys feel about that connective narrative? That idea that we went from Conan and Punisher to wait the fuck out of nowhere, Conan and my beautiful Damien, plus kind of Natasha, but could have been any woman in the entire Marvel universe. There wasn't a lot there. It, it was extreme. It was definitely not as cohesive a uh, journey. Definitely this trade. Just just from going from, it, it was, as much as I like to poke fun at it, it was, you know, Conan and Frank bonding, you know, no homo, but it was a little homo. But um, <laughs> from from going from, only hope. <laughs> from bonding like that to like the, the next one, you're like drugs and whores and all that stuff. So I, I oh God, honestly, it felt like this was a different book or a different storyline completely because that's how hard it shifted. And I actually found more of a, a plot line and more to like about the annual in a very different way. It just it seemed, yeah, like like almost a completely different storyline because, yeah, it went from being, uh you know, buckets of blood, raising of a new god, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly we get swept over here to, uh you know, South America and, you know, these women are not willing. What? You're going to try? No, we don't force women to do that kind of thing. What? I'm going to just, you know, murder slavers and gang members and, you know, hey, look, we've run into Damien Hellstrom. Hello, gorgeous. But yeah, I think it's issue like it was six, a, it was a huge, huge shift. Issue six would have been better tacked onto the first trade as an epilogue mm-hmm. to it. Like mm-hmm. it's it just such oh, a different story. That's, that's a really great view on presentation. I don't disagree. I really see that read. And I think for me, it would have, if my choices feel swallowed by the end of five or makes the annual feel clunky, because here's the thing. I thought six was the best issue in, in the volume. I did also think the annual was both beautiful and important. And then I genuinely enjoyed seven through 10, but there's sort of this implication that somebody else needs to suffer for uh, someone to grow. And I oftentimes find that narratives like these get very heavy handed in that regard. And I worried that it would be Conan coming from the Hyborian age with all of the knowledge of defeating sex trafficking. And I was really concerned. But (laughs) it turns out what I should have been concerned about was a sort of underutilization of Natasha here. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I love Damien. Damien's a longtime favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm really I'm a Conan fan now. Right. I, I could get into this. The only other Conan I've really read is his brief return to Marvel in the late 90s, early aughts. That's really the only other extreme Conan I have experience with. Mm-hmm. So 
so then you're asking me to like bring in these three characters and I kind of can't figure out what they have in common other than I guess sometimes they can get bloody. And I guess that's why it's the Savage Avengers annual. It's not a numbered issue, but I didn't really see a reason that a Conan led story had this. We're going to defeat sex trafficking and also don't do drugs because it's dark magic. I that really has me stumped like. <laughs> It felt a little more PSA. I don't know. There was something about it that felt a little like I'm not like this is the worst thing I've ever read or anything. Like I actually really did enjoy this. But like I am kind of curious how Dark Magic Cocaine comes into the picture in this book. This book was sponsored by Dare. (laughs) Right. I hear what you're saying, Eco. I guess I have a question for anybody here or any fans of Marvel Comics. Have Natasha and Damien really never met? She knows of him, I believe. He was in the Defenders when she was in the Champions, right? So you'd think they would have met? Does everybody remember that really beautiful House of M gatefold that had all of the Avengers and all of the X-Men sitting nicely arranged like they were students in a uh, in, in an academy photo and oh, yeah. I always think about like how that image came to be and it's any group shot like this but everybody being like now I know we're about to fight but everybody <laughs> we just need to take the one nice fucking picture <laughs> dupe is floating in front because he does not ever have to be in these shots and dupe is going to take the picture but everybody sit nice and at one point Emma's like my hair is out of like my hair has moved can I telekinetic I need a telekine can a telekine please remove the strands thank you and like you know, Carol is now, of course, getting annoyed. She's like, I've heard about seven missiles I'm supposed to redirect to <laughs> another planet. If you do not let me out of this photo shoot, and like, <laughs> I cannot stop imagining. I don't have time for this. I have to be lesbians elsewhere. I mean, elsewhere. Oh. Yes, exactly. Jess is waiting for me, please. <laughs> so, like, in my head, you cannot convince me that there's never been a one of those that Damien and Natasha weren't both at is what I'm getting at. Well, so, and you can't no. tell me that she's never had that moment of, look, if anybody's listening, if you can get my ass out of this. <laughs> like, yeah, I think what ties these characters together for me is there's probably a plenty of sins between all of them. And they're all, you know, very uh, dubious alignment people or people who've had to fight with their own alignment based on yep. their circumstances or whatever you want to call it. I think that's what's meant to tie them together. But the annual to me, while having what feels like a uh, more cohesive narrative overall to give a sentiment of what exactly is going on or what has been going on since the past, the past month of traveling through the Savage Land slash Antarctica, which I don't want to say I had a problem with it, but like you're going to try to walk to New York from Antarctica. Good luck with that, buddy. Well, I felt this issue was more cohesive. It fell flat in what it was trying to tell me because I don't think it was the best way to get Natasha and Damien there. I don't know if I really enjoyed the way that they were tied into the story and it makes sense. I also don't know how well they play off of one another. I don't think it just fit with Conan. It didn't feel like a fun group. Like the first time where everybody's bloody, bloody, stabby, stabby, I was like, yeah, okay. They're all bloody, bloody, stabby, stabby, and they all kind of know each other. So it makes sense to me. Here, where they don't know each other, it creates this different dynamic that for me isn't as enjoyable because we're not focusing on that dynamic of them trying to learn about one another. It's 
it's we're focusing on you know be nice to women and don't do drugs kids (laughs) i'm being like women were being disrespected in this book and i should just be saying raven you have a little bit more firsthand experience of being a woman than i do (laughs) now how did you feel about the presentation of black widow i i get you know i get very defensive of natasha and i'm like she's an avenger motherfucker so present her well i you know i made my feelings clear how about you what did you feel about her inclusion in this narrative it was rough uh to say the least it felt like it was an, an addition kind of like a back thought that had no build-in and that was my problem with it i'm like we haven't we didn't really see her in any of these other books she wasn't even really hinted at at any of the other books so suddenly they shoehorn her in and as soon as she's in they shoehorn her the hell back out and i'm like what the hell just happened there but funny enough i liked the way they played conan in the annual because he respected the women that were in that book even though they were sex workers he realized that hey none of these women are willing none of these women want to be here none of them want to be touched you know so what the hell and they're like well you just put him in the mood you know he's like oh we don't do that in fact we so don't do that that i'm gonna put your head through a wall like the fact that the barbarian Mm -hmm. the giant sword wheeling drink until you fall into a blackout coma barbarian had more respect for the women and what they wanted to happen to their bodies that he went yeah yeah we're gonna do what's right instead of what's easy because a guy his size could easily have done what he wanted but he's like no i like him willing and Mm -hmm. hence his horribly bad but honestly hilarious pickup lines uh to natasha (laughs) and it's like oh god uh where'd he go Uh, don't worry at least he's a giant horny distraction away from me i think if she had straight up told him dude straight up not interested he would have been like "Eh, i'm still gonna like it from afar but i'm not gonna push it but yeah she just she really felt kind of thrown into this entire uh situation instead of being given like a good lead in so i was i was a little confused as to why they were using her and why she was set up in this book because i don't remember seeing her in later issues or at least yeah, not the it, later yeah issues she doesn't come back for a while she doesn't come back for a while definitely yeah it, it definitely felt like a drop in here. Nathan, you're a, you know, a strong defender of, you know, female Avengers. Love that rhyme. Now, how did this issue play out for you? There was a lot of build up to what ultimately felt like just a few pages of climax and resolution. How did you feel about bringing in Damien and then suddenly Natasha? like a really weird sequel to Little Shop. Yeah, it was. So, love Natasha. Like, her stint is the Avengers chairwoman. That is, like, my prime era of the Avengers that I was really super into, except for, like, the super goofy 80s with uh, Monica Rambeau. But, like, for her to just kind of be, like, thrown into a story, to me, seems like a very big lack of disrespect for the history of her character. Mm-hmm. I know they've throw, they've done a lot of stuff with her since, and she's a lot more Black Ops, not as super heroic as she was at that time period it just it's it didn't make sense now i did really appreciate uh hellstrom in that uh, lava bath but i do wonder how his pants didn't burn off but (laughs) i did though love the use of just like this bloody horror like the table chopping off the guy's head and him like killing the guy by pushing him into the wall like that was amazing 
they could have done more service to somebody as strong as natasha and yeah just it didn't feel like they it didn't feel like they thought of her until the last couple of pages oh i agree because they could have like electra has a history of being contracted as an assassin and it wouldn't be weird if she took a contract that she normally wouldn't have and that could have brought electra back in there's probably you know a plan for both of these amazing women and i'm not saying delete a woman but if you're not going to give the character enough room to breathe like that's probably my first like uh i'm not sure savage avengers like if i'm grading this thing across the board right well getting to the big plot of this book what was promised to be the plot of this book by the cover the end of the first issue i think they just wanted a bunch of doom splash pages okay hold on we go to Doomstat. okay I'm here. I'm with you. And I have to just like, I, I, I know this is the problem, but really good Doom is really charming. Oh, I love a good Doom when he's like so cute and so sexy and just being playful and is like, you're right. I am vain. Here's my fucked up face. And like, it's so hot. I, why did Doom kidnap the bartender? Like and like build an egg? Like I just I don't get that. Because yeah. Doom loves his weird machinations. It's it's the bigger, the dumber, the weirder, the more it shows off how needlessly rich he is. Yeah, you know, I, it's rich. I, it's rich people shit. <laughs> But for real, I love that Doom is kind of like, so you don't know me? Okay. Oh. Hi. Hi. My name is Vic, and I want to introduce you to my limitless fortune. And it can be <laughs> yours. I want your necklace. And Conan's like, feed me. And oh, I was God, like, that. okay. Like, feed me, fuck me, or fight me. <laughs> I, like I like how Doom was like, don't kill my servants. How are they going to cook for you? And he's like, Oh, I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> well, and so then the dinner scene was like straight up pure, amazing, gay, dumb erotica. So like <laughs> Conan's like, why aren't you eating? And Doom's like, don't worry, I'm not poisoning you. And Conan's like, all right. And he's like, I don't take off my mask. And Conan's like, yeah, what's that about? I'm like literally miming, feeding myself with a fork this entire time. <laughs> like a valley girl. Oh, I don't know, but I love it. Like he's Mean girls in Victor. Like twirling his finger through the tail, like, so you just don't take off your mask. So you think you're pretty. <laughs> so, so then he's like, I, I think if you don't take off your mask, you're vain. And Victor's <laughs> like, like, you can see the smirk through the fucking mask. You know what right? I mean? And oh then he takes the mask down and he's just like, my face. And Conan's like, that's your face. And like, <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. You want to buy my amulet? Let's talk about something else. It's like, ooh, I, definitely not fucking that. Okay. <laughs> I genuinely thought that was one of the most fascinating exchanges I have seen in a Marvel comic. Like, that was worth the price of this trade alone. Like, oh, really, God, yeah. truly. I thought that was just absolutely one of those standout sequences that I'm going to remember. And like in two years, one day I'm going to be on Twitter and I'm going to like randomly put that sequence <laughs> up like the, the two pages because it's just so it's such a masterclass in who these two characters are. Conan doesn't care what size dick you have and what size dick he has. He's going to big dick you. It's not really yep. about who's bigger, but it's about who's bigger. It's when you think about, about the size of their bodies and barbarian dick energy. That big dick energy. Yeah. But yeah. like there's something about Conan where, you know, there's always like, there's always a little more dick when he needs it. So <laughs> somewhere. And so could you imagine if that was a mutant's power just to get a little more dick? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was their only mutability was that they could get a little more dick when they needed it. It would be very popular in Krakoa, though. <laughs> oh, my God. And it works both ways. You can always get a little bit more dick. It's the end of the night. You're tired, but you just need to get fucked. You can always get a little bit more dick. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, what a great... That, uh, all right. So, um, so Dr. Uh, Strange shows up. Ugh. Oh, my God. Can I tell you, though, this is some of my favorite Dr. Strange I've read in a really long time. It he's is, hesitant, really, though. He's smart. He's funny. He's charming. He's unsure, but he knows to be terrified. I love when a super cocky son of a bitch goes in humble. If you stay braggart and you have to be humbled, that's on you. But when a super cocky guy can show I'm afraid, like it's not even like I question, oh, you know, he's got some secret spell ready to go. No, I know from the way, because Dugan is such a great character writer. He gets so into the heads of these characters, especially like over in Marauders. I get his strange completely. And this was the most compelling I have found Dr. Stephen Strange in some number of years. Agreed. I just really thought this was like, and I don't know, I really love this book. I know it's silly and it's got its problems. How much experience do you guys have with Doom? I've got some Fantastic mm-hmm. Four under my belt. I've got Secret yeah. Wars. I've got Secret Wars 2. I've got Secret Wars again. You know, I've got like... I've got I love him. I, I really love Superior Iron. Was it in Superior? Yeah, Superior Iron Man. Yeah. That was an amazing series. Oh, my God. Like that... Oh, I like to Doom then. And I just haven't liked Strange, though. But I like him in this run. I really like him in this run. I really do. Strange is a lot less of a dick in this run, which is actually really nice uh, because he's usually just such an insufferable cock. I just can't stand him. Most he's like of the, the magical Tony Stark. Like, yeah. It, are you it, saying it really his mutant power is he could always just be a little bit more dick? Yes. <laughs> yes. And and I mean, and it's it's bad because Tony Stark has that same power. So heaven forbid you put the two of them in the same freaking room. It's just a dick off. <laughs> oh my god. Not in the but, good way though. Not yeah, in the good no, way. Definitely not in a good way. But no, they they made him less insufferable in 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 this comic which i found way more enjoyable because it felt like he was actually trying to be working within uh the parameters of a team versus no you're all just stupid just shut up and follow what i say you stupid stupid children i am the master here i am the sorcerer supreme the universe endowed me a cishet white male the power to do all these sorcerer supreme things so of course you should just listen to me and question nothing i say it's like oh my god not only am i the sorcerer supreme i was also a surgeon too yeah oh right right you see my phd it's like oh my god shut up (laughs) but yeah like i've i i've known uh victor von doom from uh fantastic four mostly and i found this iteration of him very refreshing because most of the fantastic four i've seen him in he he was he was a strong villain but like you just you didn't quite get the personality or the sense of his personality um from him being the villain so to see him like being oh yes here's my lavish spread and here's all the money i can spend and you know i can just you know i can do whatever and i can do magic <laughs> and then him, <laughs> him and freaking strange being in the same 
room and actually having to work together. That was actually really refreshing. Did love the reverence that Strange showed for Bon Doom. Like, mm-hmm. like you guys say, usually and he's vice like, versa, definitely yeah. a thousand percent. Yeah, usually they're very like they're both very like ha ha ha. I know better than you, but like you were saying, like it's very like balanced. Mm-hmm. It's also very dynasty because they would just <laughs> not stop poking at one another oh, God, when yeah. it comes to the, each other's inadequacies, and it was very um humorous to read because it was just a bunch of catty you know gay men being like oh you don't have experience with this oh you're not that good of a wizard then (laughs) that's literally what they're saying to one another but i mean you knew that they had to do that there was no way for them yeah to be catty bitches and like but like you know it's so fascinating to me because i never would have expected this sort of okay I'm trying to find the right way to put it. If you can imagine a Thor and Loki situation where, for whatever reason, they're up against, not they're up against, but, the, you know, there's a situation involving the Avengers and the Avengers, like, so we find out these people were facing our gods and Loki and Thor are kind of just nodding along. It doesn't matter if Loki and Thor are at, at a bad place with one another. If they hear gods, they're just going to be like, uh, it's just another day, right, brother? And like, yeah. the Avengers are like, we have to brace. This is going to be a powerful person. And Thor's like, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> and like, you know, Loki would immediately be like, yes, it's indeed a Tuesday. And like, they'd have that that shared energy about it, right? There's something where Strange and Von Doom are kind of like, so it's Kulan Gath. Okay. Um, On a scale of one to fucked. Okay. How do we approach it? I guess we're going to have to just kind of go into it together. We're just going to buddy comedy this up. It's Marvel. It's unlikely Marvel team up and we're going to enjoy it. And there's something so beautiful about how somehow they're the main characters and they're almost it's almost unnoticeable that the plot really is them working together to understand the situation because they're not really competing for conan like there's really no competition here even though they kind of are but they're kind of not because they don't really want him he's the most unwantable prize in the world (laughs) and him they just want what he has I right, love it so, when the story. Uh, I was like, I love it when the story focus switches from Conan to like Strange and Doom. Like Conan just like starts even like hammering even heavier with like the one liners. He's like, "Look at me, look at me. It's my story. It's not their story. It's my story." <laughs> Pay attention to me. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> uh, how could we forget Jericho accepting, you know, a ticket to the uh, realm of the dead by being poisoned? And then oh Shumagorath yeah. appears. And I was like, is that Shumagorath? And Nico was like, yeah, I guess it is. And I was like, cool. I literally know nothing about him. I only know that he's got tentacles and he can change his shape. And he's got an eyeball. That's, and he got lasers. That's about only, as far as I go. I only remember him from the video game. That is it. Like, Well, and I just wasn't sure if he was maybe the Hydra mind uh, from the Hickman shield run where uh, Secret Warriors run where there's that Hydra mind on Madam Hydra and it's a giant tentacle monster head. Ew. But Ooh. so like it's Shumagorath and I'm like, okay, there's something really brave about the way this book is like head on saying, yeah, we're going to do all the weird shit. And like, <laughs> I appreciate that. I have some. So I'm a big fan of uh, Dr. Voodoo. I specifically 
got into him way late in the game. There was, I believe, a Rick Remender penned short-lived Dr. Voodoo Sorcerer Supreme series when he first became the Sorcerer Supreme. And I honestly didn't know enough about the character at first, so I had to learn a lot as I went. And I quickly discovered he's just one of the most fascinating Marvel magicians. And I don't know how I feel exactly about how he's in play but off the board the whole series Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun getting to see him but i wish it could be strange who's off the board with voodoo on the board but the problem is strange is in seven other titles how do you convince the audience that he's dead for a year because dr voodoo is utilized in one book at a time and it's pretty consistent that he is in something at all times Mm -hmm. he's just in this but he's in this in such a removed way that i feel like you know i know jerry dugan gets so deep into the minds of characters and he gives us these beautiful glimpses but like i would love to see some action too for dr voodoo Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I am very much there with you because it, it honestly feels like he was an underutilized plot hole, more or less. Like he was he was just there to push the plot along, but they weren't actually using him. And he is mm-hmm. an amazing character when used correctly. And it just it felt like they kind of fell short on this. I was so happy to see him like escape the like the weird love relationship with Wanda. I'm like, no, no, not with Wanda Maximoff, please. No. <laughs> right. don't go down that road bad bad things no no but like then like oh okay cool he dies and then oh he's resurrected but now he's like living with Kulangath and oh he gets poisoned oh okay nothing really happens yeah 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 I do love that Doctor Strange is like I'm gonna leave him here and you can take care of him, nice Hongan magician god creature person. Um, well, at least he recognized that he needed to leave him with his deities and his gods instead of going, oh yeah, I'm going to go he- over here and pray to my gods, and my it, gods are just going to magically heal you or some shit. So that's that was exactly yeah. what I loved about it. It like made me so happy to see because like. Again, this book could be mindless, but Jerry Dugan finds a way to sneak in a lot of mind into the silly mm-hmm. because like I I'm not a fan of monsters where every time you peel back a layer like I don't need Matroshka monsters where <laughs> there's still yet a more evil littler man inside <laughs> and some of the killing of Kulan Gath could have gotten really old for me, but I really thought all of the ways they kept advancing the plot were kind of charming like i love iron doom strange that was the iron mage was like so fucking fantastic and once again we have to call out the art team and say what an amazing job because you know whether it's in the script or it's just instinctive to the artist the idea that he would have to open the glove to do the spell on his hand like oh well, yeah that's such a touch that makes me so happy and you know what hands are hard so taking the time to draw a hand really beautifully like that just a really nice touch and i felt that this was a good time you know it could have been 
a more boring story between just to use two people, Nick Fury and Wolverine. But instead of making it kind of generic, and even as a huge Logan fan, I'd find that forgettable. They put this in the form of a Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom story where Doctor Voodoo is also in play. And I, I kind of like this three Doctor team up. I needed a little bit more voodoo. Maybe. Yeah. No, it's, I wouldn't even need less strange. Just more voodoo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody had a PhD on there except for you know, like baby Conan. <laughs> now, I think what I've loved is that the only real central narrative that's running through this book right now is Conan. What are you doing here? And Conan being like, I'm here to either fight or drink beer. And everybody's like, I'm going to shoot you because you're being weird. It fades to black, and when it comes back, everybody's on their ass, and Conan's drinking beers with all six hands. And <laughs> I'm really not sure how much more I want that bit. Like, I'll be honest, like yeah. that bit is maybe starting to get a little bit like, okay. Yeah. But what I'm enjoying is that the narrative keeps developing this through line that there's this bigger magic at play, and it kind of centers around Conan, and really the people that were called together, the calling of of the blood bucket in the first trade that's going to keep coming back right it's going to keep coming back to them over and over and there was still some interesting horror there was speaking of mr bucket there was that dude who was like i'm part of the sacrifice bleedy bleed and like right so there was still some of that like well and then there was don't do drugs there was nobody get nobody do the cocaine the cocaine is dark magic so I do feel like this trade did cover a lot of ground for the Savage Avengers. And yet I still know it's about Conan and Kulan and they're trying to fight to see who's going to have the cooler Hyborian name in the present. And here's, here's where things get a little bit off the rails. We've read free comic book day, Savage Avengers number one, and then Savage Avengers one through 10 plus the annual. Okay. Well, coming up, we have Savage Avengers 11 through 16, plus the Savage Avengers Empire one-shot. Now, the Savage Avengers Empire one-shot handles Conan and Venom. So I guess Venom gets to come back up, and it's going to be nice to see Venom in uh, a thing that's already happened, considering you know we're kind of following him, some of the members of the team. I know I'm reading King in Black. I know not everybody is. But I'm really wondering, we've started to see a really interesting rotating cast, and we came into this knowing that Juggernaut and Magic, so we know that X-Men are coming in on it. Jonah, how did you feel about Doctor Doom as this sort of stopgap? And now we're heading headfirst into a bunch of X-Men joining the pages of this title. Doom was a very interesting choice because Doom in himself is a very interesting character. I think when it comes to nebulous or um, dubious kinds of morality, uh, Doom is kind of like the perfect character thrown here. I don't really think, in my knowledge, there would be another villain that could, I think, fill the role that Doom fills here, being both uh, on par magic with someone like uh, Doctor Strange, while also being having like that amount of influence that's not gained through that his mystical power like that. So I really did enjoy his inclusion here because I think he kind of did steal the show. It also just feels like Savage Avengers is an excuse to uh, have Conan on Earth 616 and be like, this is everyone who is bloody and be mean and probably will curse you out. 
So I'm kind of like, okay with that. But Conan took a severe backseat, not only in the fight, but in a lot of the plot relevance. And it was much more about Doom and Steven and a little bit of Jericho. So I am excited for what's going to come with the X-Men inclusion because I know it's Ileana and I know I'm going to cry and be happy and just, it's going to be my everything. And I'm going to be so, I, so many words of how much I'm going to fawn over this book, but it also does make me worried because I worry that it's not going to use the character to the best utilization. I think that the annual didn't really use Damien and Natasha the best way. So I do have trepidations about a character that I really love being used in a way that I think just doesn't suit them the best. Mm -hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree with you yeah. on that. Um, I was actually helping, I was hoping for more from, from Hellstrom um, in these couple of issues and like they just, yes, I get it that Conan is supposed to be the center, but it, it felt like it kept missing the mark on actually including all of these characters together. It just felt like they were sort of all solo and just happened to be keep crossing paths, but never really forming any sort of okay we really do need to get this shit done stay together stick together let's get this hammered out quick so we don't give them too many uh episodes or too much time to get their shit together and and do the big bad for me it's really interesting because i, I initially picked up the book and, and i picked it up the whole way and i just never read it after the first issue because i was kind of like they killed voodoo no and then you know they brought him back and all that stuff. But like, I really started reading when the X characters started appearing Morgan regularly. So it's actually really interesting to see the journey of the book because I knew where it was going to end up. And I was like, oh, that's how they get to that point. What also I would have really appreciated at some point throughout these issues is even if it's like two or three pages, what are Electro Wolverine and Eddie Brock doing? They were supposed to be keeping tabs on Frank Castle and Conan, and then they just kind of, like, didn't do anything for a month, apparently. Well, okay, I mean, we know Wolverine's Electra. doing, like, everything, so, like... <laughs> and that and that one Electra appearance where she's talking with Strange, that was super strained to me. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel the way I would expect two people who have definitely met a number of times <laughs> to interact. It uh, felt a little stunted. I didn't hate it, but I think of Electra as a very smooth character, very emotionless, but very fluid. And it just felt a little stunted. But, you know, part of that is trying to pack so many characters into something, which, you know, we're kind of discovering sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We like it when it's Doom. We're a little unsure when it's a minor appearance from the Black Widow. We were okay with yeah. the more developed Hellstrom, but we questioned the underutilization of Dr. Voodoo. So I think we're looking at a really complex tapestry on a book that I mean, honestly, I'm going to keep giving the book like a B plus. I didn't love this. Maybe I have to give this one a B. I'll give the first volume a B plus. I'm going to give this one a B. I honestly really like it's it's okay to like like Rod uh, Rod Kamada uh, one of the most uh, amazing uh, one of the, you should, everybody should follow him over on Twitter but he's one of our wonderful contributors every week here on X podcast and he says guys it's okay to like dumb violence as long as you're also <laughs> reading good stuff too and yes. like he's right this is my dumb violence and I enjoy yeah. it 
Well, oh god, to, yeah. There's like to me, the first issue I really enjoyed for what it was. Agree with your B rating for it. I mean, it is it, yeah, it is really stupid in parts where like sometimes they're like, oh, here's this character, but like it's so much fucking fun. Like, oh my god. Oh <laughs> I need Conan to like meet the X-Men now and like just like, oh, this is what you guys do on Krakoa. Like, yeah. I think that I give I give the storyline like a C, but I give the art an A. So overall, it evens out into a B. So again, it's it's not like the oh my god, I have to read this because I have to know what happens next. It's the I really need a palate cleanser where I don't have to overthink every little last piece of the storyline. I need something that is just beautiful blood, guts, and violence, and this does it really, really well. So I'm happy with it. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and this next segment is sort of the core four, the guys who got this iteration of the show going, myself, Jonah, Kyle, and Maddie, coming together to talk about the ways in which, you know, we started with a very different X roster when we kicked this iteration of the show off, and we were sort of talking about the books in these ways, and this sort of core roster destabilization, where no title really has the same five, six characters anymore, it's a much more fluid rotating atmosphere that's something definitely worth talking about and especially after new mutants and sword both introduced such large casts it really seemed like an important thing to talk about and the ways in which not having such a strict small roster each month allows books and the line to breathe hey everybody i'm nico and you can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n i'm kyle and you can find me on both twitter and instagram at drantis82 d-r-a-n-t-i-s-8-2 hey guys it's maddie and you can find me on instagram at the basely covetous man and over on twitter at basely covetous and i'm jonah and you can follow me over on twitter and instagram at peak jonah and we hope you survive this experience just like the two teams who are practicing this fighting survived kind of maybe there was a lot of digging a lot of petty comments and i'm here for it i am here for it there's something about having a queer writer on a book where you're just like you get it right so now you guys might be asking yourselves why i've assembled the old mutants and by that i mean it's you know the core four it's the guys who got this is x rolling darwin havoc not havoc darwin vulcan petra and sway sway you got there you got there right so The thing about it is, you know, this show evolved from I've been talking X-Men with Maddie for like literally 15 years. I've been talking X-Men with Kyle for like five and Jonah since the day we met. Right. Uh, Two. We have not only been friends two years. What? what? Yeah. Two years. (laughs) What? You've known me longer than you've known Kyle. Shut the fuck up. How do I do that every time? Okay. (laughs) Now that I've chrono skimmed, right? He thinks you've actually been together for three more years than you actually have been. Right? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. When you say something like new mutants, right? You think something new. And when you say something like new creative team coming on, you think something new. But something that I'm really starting to see with... X-Men titles right now is the idea of the roster, right? And you always get that sort of like, uh, it's a new day dawning with a new roster kind of vibe from a book, right? No matter what happens, you expect a, a transfer of power to result in a change in team, right? And I think I'm here to say that at the moment, 
the idea of the X roster is dead. And there's a million reasons for that, right? And I think I can do it easiest by posing a question to everybody. What's your favorite Marauders cast right now? For me, I actually missed the beginning cast where it was Pyro, Iceman, Bishop, Kate, and Storm with Emma kind of hanging out in the background and Christian Frost drinking a Vicodin teeny sitting at a piano. <laughs> like, that's the Marauders I dug the hardest. How about you guys? Did anybody else love a different configuration of Marauders? Um, has there really been another configuration of Marauders? Considering Pyro, Iceman, and Bishop haven't appeared in three or four issues because of the events of Marauders getting a little bit more centered around Kate's revenge on Shaw. But hey, what about that Shinobi Shaw issue of Marauders? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Hey, okay. what about the issue of Marauders where Storm went to Wakanda and retrieved a sword and the only supporting cast members were the Wakandans? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to... I have to say that I, I do still think of the original cast when I think of Marauders. I mean, just just look at my response. I, did, I didn't even think of all those other issues where they didn't really make a full appearance. I think personally, like Kyle, I still think in my heart of hearts of the volume one Dawn of X Marauders cast as my go-to Marauders cast. And I think the reason that the transition to a different set of players hasn't been as obvious for me because it still is centered around some of the core cast, whereas a book like New Mutants seems to cycle out its roster every single issue. Absolutely. New Mutants kicked off with a mostly original cast of New Mutants, right? It was Karma and Danny. And, you know, they visited Sam up in space where he was doing space daddy things. And it had Birdo and it had Cypher wearing Warlock like a shawl at a Stevie Nicks concert. And then it also had the magic of Mondo, Thick Daddy Mondo, what's up, buddy? Never put that shirt on. And Chamber and his half a face, right? But then the next couple of issues, we saw this sudden change to Armor, Glob Herman, Creepy Twin number one and Queep Creepy Twin number two. No thanks. And they were joined by Boom Boom, who just can't seem to settle on a bad code name to save her life. And you leave my trashy queen alone. And she is a trash queen. She is the kind of hot garbage that you want to look like and feel like, right? But I really think that then we switched over to that. It was like Tabby and Armor and Magma story. And then we jumped back and we met Cosmar and we had a bit of uh, the traditional team, but it was plus Armor. And then shortly thereafter, we transitioned to a team for one issue of Glob, Magic, and Danny. And then we wound up in Ten of Swords. And it sort of feels like in Excalibur, we've lost Rogue and Gambit. And Richter didn't even play a part in Ten of Swords, which like, and then after the first or second issue of X-Men, where did the Summers family clan go? Oh, right. They went to on vacation. Yeah. I find myself. Yeah, they went to they went to swing from the chandelier, the chandelier here with the CR. That's <laughs> bad. You know what? I would cut that, but I deserve to be punished. So I think what I'm finding is that there isn't really a roster on these books anymore. There's kind of like a, an accumulation 
of characters that play in and out. When I think about X-Force, I think about how the book was Gene, Beast, Logan, and Quentin with the help of Black Tom in the background being very the people, the people, and Sybil about it. And now, or for a while, it became the Domino Show with Colossus being like Da, Sad Da, Muy Triste Da, right? <laughs> yep. And because he speaks Spanish now. And shortly thereafter, we got, again, Ten of Swords. And Ten of Swords was like the Logan Show. No matter what they did, X-Force ran like more pages of Logan. And that's the kind of yep. thing where I feel like we've destabilized the roster. New X-Men, it's that set five that are meant to mirror the O5. Astonishing, it's that set six that kind of mirrors the new X-Men giant size era, right? How do you guys feel about the destabilization of the roster as part of the book identity? I feel that it kind of breaks the continuity a bit between the stories and it makes it more difficult for me to follow where things are going and keep the various plot points straight so i i'm not the biggest fan of it but it does allow for more characters to shine you know, I have to agree with that wholeheartedly. I think also the concept of destabilizing the idea of a team roster lends itself differently to different books. I feel like in the instance of X-Force, X-Force is a book that could use a little bit of a looser roster. I am a little tired of seeing Quentin die in 12 of 15 issues. I am a little tired of Beast and Wolverine dominant stories with Gene and the Wings. I could do for a little bit more Domino. I could do for a little bit more Black Tom Cassidy. I could do for a revolving door of other characters, possibly characters that are uninitiated to the title. That said, a book like New Mutants for me personally is hit or miss. I had become so accustomed to the Volume 1 original cast plus some of Gen X, and now that we seem to be going for a looser feel, like I'm looking at the most recent issue of New Mutants, New Mutants number 14, Synergy, and we're looking at the cast. We have Danny Moonstar, Karma, Warlock, Magic so far normal and then we start getting to the likes of fauna anoli nature girl scout rainboy all of their first appearances petra who made one appearance in a vulcan uh solo issue during empire sprite dust cosmars back no girl so these are characters that haven't been featured haven't been showcased this seems to be now the title new mutants is just the dumping ground for mutants of youth I have to agree with you that a lot of new mutants to start off with, and I think that echoed a lot of our the complaints that members of the podcast had with new mutants, was it didn't really feel like it had a direction. And we see that with not well, I agree that we should dismantle the idea of a cast and, you know, a team and an X team or whatever. Having certain characters or having centralized narratives that all cohesively thread together at some points does need to happen. And New Mutants kind of was jumping all over the place and they didn't really know what they wanted to be, which is kind of funny because that's kind of what New Mutants is about is these younger mutants who are no longer teens, not knowing exactly what they want to be or what they want to do. Because of Krakoa, not having a standard team of this is exactly who you're going to see is reminiscent of, well, everybody's here. It's kind of like the Smash Brothers Ultimate. Everybody's here and nobody's being left out. So 
everybody can have a chance to be drawn on a panel or respecting lesbians or whatever. You know, and I I think that exactly that element is what lends itself so well as a cohesive element in establishing the idea of mutant equalness, uh, mutant equality. I think that there is room or should be room in certain titles for there to be such a revolving door of characters because Krakoa is home to now all mutants or nearly all mutants. So it is not outside of the realm of possibility that a character like Dust, a favorite of the podcast, Dust Soraya, can appear in a random issue of New Mutants. You know, there there should be room for showcasing these otherwise background characters, especially when they're characters that could stand for more visibility. And like, you know, thinking about characters that need a little bit more visibility, I know they've gotten some rejuvenated interest. And I know that there is an epic collection coming out with their first nine issues and the first eight appearances or 10 appearances before that. But the Gen X kids, right? Gen X is one of those books that's so visibly dynamic. I want to know where Chamber is. I want to know where Paige is and where Mondo is. Like Mondo was somebody that we came out of the gate strong on. And Maybe that was Ed Brisson. You know, Ed Brisson had a very different take on X-Men and a very different take on New Mutants that in a lot of ways felt like a holdover from the previous era. But this destabilization of, of team is something that is also leading to some really cool positives. Vita, in their first issue with Rod Race, made sure to bring in Cosmar. Now, Cosmar was just created in the pages of New Mutants, and we all kind of collectively shit our brains out of our eyes at some of the intricate, breathtaking work in those pencils on those issues of New Mutants. I think it's issues 9 and 10 or 10 and 11. And the work there was stunning. And in this issue of New Mutants number 14, which recently dropped this past week, and it was a huge thing, X-Twitter loved it because X-Twitter should, because goddammit, was this a good book? You know, we still saw Annalie. So we saw somebody from the astonishing era from the pages of New X-Men Academy X. And then we saw Martha. Can I tell you how happy I am, you know, personally that Maddie is not seeing a return in Reign of X just because covering her? I was just taking a sip of tea and you were like, Maddie's not a real person. And I was like, <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Oh, no. Maddie Pryor. Okay. That's uh, <laughs> Maddie, not Matty. It's all the same. Which one of us isn't a clone of someone else, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, Scout goes through that realization of what that means. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, I just learned who Scout was today. Well, when I read this. And I was like, that's a character, though. Gabby. Gabby. Poor sweet Gabby. baby. Okay, if Gabby, if we're all doing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't view her as a sweet baby. I view her as I, a killing machine. As, as a, killing a murderous machine. monster. Well, yeah. I, I, I uh, lovingly noted that when you go from Wolverine down to his clones, they each lose a claw. You got three on Wolverine, and then you got two on Laura, and now you got one on Gappy. You're going to wind up with a clone with no claws, and everyone's going to be like, well, how are you, Wolverine? And they're like, snicked. I just make the noise and hold my fist up. Snicked. <laughs> they have, they have uh, the toys. <laughs> Yeah, they have the toy gauntlets. They just have like the fake. They have the fake uh, gloves. So <laughs> now, one of the other things that this sort of roster destabilization has resulted in for the line has been a powerful transformation of what the head of X is capable of. Now, again, we're going to talk about New X Men as kind of like the thing, but before New X Men, the last time somebody was the thing in a way that was like, "I am the thing," was Ben Grimm. 
Right. It was Ben Grimm. But the time before that, oh no, after that, because I guess Ben Grimm came in 1961. So the time after that was Chris Claremont was like really in charge of everything. And while he wasn't initially in charge of X Factor, while he had new X, while he had Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants, and he would later shortly thereafter have Excalibur. Bob Layton wound up leaving X Factor very quickly because he found writing and drawing a book way too hard on a monthly schedule. And who the fuck doesn't other than John Byrne, right? So he wound up needing to leave and that put Wheezy Simonson in the lead position. And Wheezy is such a goddamn team player and she'd been Claremont's editor for years. And so she knew how to play with Claremont well, but still managed to do her own stories. And when she took over the pages of New Mutants, she managed to bring those together. Now, we haven't really seen someone do that since then. We saw Grant Morrison kind of blanket statement, this is what the X-Men is going forward. Joss Whedon do the same thing during Astonishing. But shortly thereafter, you were in the era of Brubaker in space while Carrie has legacy. Okay. It wasn't until Brian Bendis that somebody kind of got the, I'm putting my foot down on X-Men. But even then, one of the best-selling X titles that had an extraordinary fan base was Wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron, which, you know, is one of my other personal favorites. John Hickman, by being this roster destabilized lead motherfucker, is able to pull people in and out of his title at random. And that's how we get a Vulcan-centric issue of X-Men and how we get an issue about reuniting Arako. Yes, I agree with Kyle. There's something about roster destabilization that makes the fluidity of understanding the content a bit more challenging, right? There's no lie there. But I do love the freedom it affords the writers in terms of this dynamic nuance and a lack of dynastic beholdenment, right? Like, Instead of saying, well, no, this has always been who's in New Mutants. We have to do it. We're getting some fresh blood. Speaking of fresh blood, I had a lot of fresh blood with Warpath in those little shorts. All I could think was, yes, Cam Counselor Subboy, come to daddy. Can I we treat you so good. Can we talk about the best piece of humor to come out of this issue, which was pointed out to me by at Alias Stogger on Twitter? Uh, the next panel when he's talking about the breathability of his outfit and Danny says, James, stop teasing them. And Rain and Karma are just in stunned lesbian silence. It's the funniest panel I have ever seen. And Magic is just living for it. The girls have no stake in this. They want no part of James. And they're just like quietly playing along. I thought it was hysterical. I did absolutely think that there was a number of beautiful, like, little, like, dot jokes, right? Like, there were just, like, little bloop, like, perfections. The moment where Magic is, like, glad to see I'm not the only one still about swords. And when Warlock basically formed Ripley's mecha suit around Warpath, I was like, this is everything I need, and it's in just a couple of quick panels. I actually found the idea of this, like, the informational synergies of what these two mutants can do to put together some of them made more sense than others like danny and Ilya. 
Ariana, you know, extending the range of her powers of and her illusions through the teleportation circles was very fascinating and like, okay, that makes sense. Now, does the synergies of Warlock and War and Warpath cut make too much sense of like, are their powers actually doing something combined? No, but it was still really cool. It was really the best way I can describe it is video game-esque. Like, okay, well, we're not gonna do we're not gonna do chimeras, but this is what they would kind of look like if we did chimeras. And that's been popping up everywhere. You know, speaking of roster destabilization, the other thing that this sort of sense of it's not the same five people every week, like Sword? Sword has so many people. There have been whole eras of the X line with fewer characters than sword number one, right? We've seen issues where they're like, oh, we're bringing in everybody for this. And it's fewer people than sword number one. I have been thrilled by some of this. Now, honestly, if I do have a complaint, it does seem that perhaps certain much beloved mutants are getting an extraordinary amount of panel time in a way that we're kind of not acknowledging. Magic is in desperate danger of becoming a Logan. She is appearing everywhere and she is having a lot of, I'm the most powerful teleporter. I have the zingiest one-liners. You can't beat me. Look at my weapons. Chop through this with my blade. Sort of kind of inconsistencies about her. And if I have a fear, it's that number one, she belongs in New Mutants as like a leader of New Mutants or upgrade her to the big leagues, right? I'm good with either one. But some of the roster destabilization has meant that characters appear on 100 titles. And I worry about the ability to keep that stuff kind of clear. Like, I love Karma, but Karma's appearing in one book a month at best. You know, I love Glob. Glob is appearing in one book a month at the best. And then you really do have Ileana appearing in every third thing I buy. And I buy a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely character overload and i'm starting to feel it with logan as well um just because of how many books he's in so while i i am really really enjoying what they're doing with iliana i i'm worried that i'm going to burn out seeing her so so much you know what? I feel like part of destabilizing a roster should be for the sake of more inclusivity. And I feel that having so many characters like Logan, like Magic, appearing in so many books and so many titles, it definitely, like you said, it it, it gives you a reason to burn out. But it also is taking space for, you know, all of these other mutants on Krakoa that could be getting their their fair share. I hear what everybody's saying, and obviously I'm the biggest Ileana st- stan boy that I can possibly be. And I only ever want a character of so many appearances if it makes sense and it there's no other option. I think back to X-Men Empire, where Ileana, besides having those amazing glasses, that role maybe could have gone to somebody else. Maybe somebody with a little more connection to Scarlet Witch or somebody else who's training Arcanes. There could have been somebody else to have that moment. Sure, did I love the demon Ileana being like, I'm going to take over the world. And then three seconds later, you know, her back to normal. Yes. But that's a moment where if it wasn't Ileana and could have been someone else... 
I think it would have been a little more palatable to then, you know, have her appear elsewhere. As long as and, um, she's also appearing in the pages of Strange Academy, which is a little weird, frankly, that she's working with Wanda. But it kind of makes sense for someone like her because she literally did study, you know, dark magic and demonic magic as well as other dimensions for seven years of her life when she was a kid and tortured by Belasco. So I'm always here for more Ileana, but I never want her to get overused where that place didn't need to be her. If it needs to be here, like there's something with Limbo, I guess you can technically use Pixie, but... Hell, you got Amanda Sefton, you got Margili Zardos, you got Belasco. Mar- yeah, no, I agree with you completely. There's so many fucking mutants that can do magic now. Megan. Megan, who has had no shake in Excalibur, but has been on covers. I think about Exiles. And I think about how good Exiles was and how that was an amazing opportunity to see a million iterations of a million characters. And I find myself standing here on the precipice of the Reign of X and I can't help but recognize how many characters have appeared seriously in two issues. How many characters have had more, like we talk more about the cuckoos than they appear, but Magneto is in every book. Apocalypse, until he decided to go to family court, was in every book. Mr. Sinister can't stop showing his pointy little fucking teeth in every book. And yeah, I mean, part of that is because they're trying to superhumanize the villains, but like Omega Red is appearing so much. And let me tell you, Omega, no thanks. Omega, don't need it. And, you know, like, I love Quentin, and Quentin's now on the back burner, which, okay, but the lack of roster is resulting in very different interpretations of some of these books month to month. And I wonder how long we can see that before the sales force kind of snaps it back. In the most inexplicable way, I think the most consistent roster has been Hellions. At, like, seven issues, it has been the same people every month oh yeah 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 has it really been seven issues already jeez i think it was like <laughs> four and then it was two x of swords and yeah. then it's one sinister being like my dead babies give them back you're right yeah and everyone's like but did you dead in the babies and he's like mm, my teeth are pointy and they're like but did you dead the babies and he's like red diamond and they're like dude we're asking about dead babies and he's like but look how much powdered makeup i use and like <laughs> It's been weird, but Sinister is another one who appears a lot, like needlessly so. I love Jean. She's my favorite X-Man ever, but she is in like every title right now. I think Jean is sometimes appearing more than Scott. And Scott's a great captain. Bishop's a great captain. Gorgon is a great captain. Magic, well, Gorgon was a great captain, although he's back, so who knows? Yeah, the four great captains are Bishop, Scott, Ileana, and Gorgon. No, I I questioned him being back. In the pages of X-Factor, they say that he came back, but he has come back acting strangely. Oh, okay. But we're at a place where there's so many mutants who don't get any time on panel. And I just wonder, how many more titles does Magneto need to be a regular in? And how many more titles does Magic need to appear in before we get a second appearance of Trinary? 